Welcome to Lit Mag Love, presented by Room Magazine and We Are Lit Writers. I'm Rachel Thompson, writer, editor, and online instructor. In this first season of Lit Mag Love, the podcast, I interview editors from literary journals and share readings from the pages of Lit Mags. My aim is for you, dear writer, to find a Lit Mag where you may have your own words cherished by readers. My guest today for Lit Mag Love is Pamela Malloy from TNQ, The New Quarterly. Now, The New Quarterly is a Canadian literary journal known for wit, warmth, and literary innovation. Their style is celebratory, and they're well known for finding as well as nurturing distinctive voices and for continuing to support writers throughout their career. They publish short fiction, poetry, and creative nonfiction that explores both the craft and the writing life. And TNQ writers are among those cited for National Magazine Awards, the Man Booker Prize, the Scotiabank Giller Prize, the Griffin Poetry Prize, the Commonwealth Writers Prize, and the Journey Prize, and the Writers Trust Fiction Prize. Each issue brings readers work by both emerging and established writers. And while TNQ has always been an inclusive publication, they've recently renewed their commitment to encouraging writers who may be experiencing barriers regarding race, gender, ability, sexual orientation, or age to consider TNQ when they're ready to submit their finest work. As I mentioned, I have Pamela Malloy here today. She's edited TNQ since 2011, and she has a Master of Arts in Studies in Fiction from the University of East Anglia, United Kingdom. I hope I'm saying that name right. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has short fiction published in the United Kingdom and Canada and has been awarded the Waterloo Regional Arts Council Award for Fiction. Her novel, The Deserters, is due out in spring of 2018 with Veacule Press, and she currently resides in Kitchener, Ontario, with her husband and daughter. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you with me today, and, and I'm particularly excited because we did do one of the initial Lit Mag Love interviews that were on Room Magazine, and, and a lot of your answers still resonate with me, and they're answers that I share often with students in my course and with other writers. And so I'm just very much looking forward to talking to you about craft and, and about TNQ today. Well, I'm excited that we can have another conversation after so long uh, absence. It's been a long time since that initial uh, interview, I think. So I want to start by talking a bit about you and your approach to books and, and writing. So how did you come to the literary life? And are there other artists in your family in the last couple of generations? No, not at all, actually. I grew up in a family of non-readers. Uh, we didn't have books growing up. So I was the odd one out and I was always starving for for books. So I really had to, to sort of find my way to literature. And I read lots of series like the Anna Green Gables and Nancy Drew series and, and that when I was growing up and just anything I can get my hands on. And I read a lot of bad literature too. So it took me a while, really, probably into my 20s before I was really found good literature. And I feel like I've been catching up ever since. Nice. I love that you're yeah, qualifying bad literature. But you also mentioned Nancy Drew, too, which is a series that I loved as a girl. I read them all in order. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't read them in order, I, I, but I just read them as soon as I could get my hands on them. And, and uh, it was lovely that they, that they existed because it was that, that idea of the original series where you could just put one down and go find another. It kept me busy for a few years anyway. Yeah, kind of at that critical time 
for a reader too, where you really are developing that reading muscle almost in your brain. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. And I, you know, I look at my daughter who's 13 and, and she's a, a voracious reader. And it's really nice for me to actually go back and, and revisit those childhood classics that I didn't read when I was a child. So I'm kind of having my second childhood <laughs> with her. Lovely. It's funny. I was just thinking I'm looking forward to that period with my son who's younger. It's like, oh, great. I get to read all those books again with someone who's reading it for the first time, too. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice part of uh, having, yeah, it's nice to have that, that she's a reader. Yes, yes. So I mentioned to you on email that you're a little difficult to find details about online. And I kind of find it similar to how you present TNQ and that you make it really about the writers and not about you, the editors. And I was wondering, is that a deliberate choice? Like there aren't really bios of the editors on your website, for example. Yeah, that's, it's funny. We had talked about that uh, when I first came to TNQ and, and, uh, and somehow we never got around to getting the bios and putting them on. And so I think, you know, I'm someone who is uh, probably more comfortable as an observer rather than observed. So I don't necessarily think about how to sort of put myself out there. And social media, I'm sort of connected to Facebook and to Twitter. But, you know, I confess to being a slow thinker. I'm a ruminator and, and you know, I sit back, reflect. I'm not the person in the meeting with going uh, to be firing ideas around. I'm the one that kind of thinks about it and has the idea after everybody's left the table. So for me, social media is kind of a, a challenge because by the time, you know, people are kind of firing out Twitter announcements and things, you know, in, in 20 seconds and, you know, I take five minutes to construct a tweet. So I'm, I'm working on it, but uh, it's not something that comes natural to me. I love how you say that, that you're a ruminator. And I do think a lot of things are happening really quickly online. So I guess that's something about even just the pleasure of literature is about slowing down and just really absorbing and going deep into the work, whether you're reading it or writing it. Yeah, it's such an important thing, you know, and it's, it's kind of crazy that as an editor, that sometimes feels like a luxury because it feels like, you know, I sometimes when I'm in going through a particularly busy time, I'm thinking, how can I change the balance here? So I'm doing less admin or, or whatever else I'm doing and more of the reading and reflecting and, and really kind of thinking more of a, of what, what's actually happening in, in the work. And so, you know, I have to kind of hit a reset button every once in a while and say, okay, I need to actually carve out the reading time and thinking time. So speaking of ruminating and taking time, can you tell me about the crafting of your novel? How long were you writing it? And what's your writing process like? And how do you balance that with your editorial duties? Well, I started this novel before I started TNQ. And, and so I was upfront with the fact that I was going to be writing and needed time for that as well. So I've been working off on it off and on for like over six years. And I, again, it's sort of carving out time. I try to dedicate a few hours a day, you know, three or four days a week. If I get that, I'm ecstatic. And I just got used to writing in the margins. So it's, you know, early in the morning or if I can come home from work and, and write for an hour or two, I have to accept that that's what I can do. And I think it also uh, tends to suit me the way I approach my work too. So I will look at a piece and, and kind of circle around it and, and try and see what I need to do with it and then put it aside and then move forward and then come back and circle around it again. So because I have these short bursts of time that I can work, that seems to suit the way that I actually work through the material. So I don't think I could sit down for eight hours and write anyways. Do you find writing in that way in the margins, as you say, 
does that impact the way you write? Like, is there an urgency in your writing then because of that, for example? Yeah, I think I think so. And I think that I tend to be episodic in the way that I write. That's partly because I'm not particularly good at carrying the whole sort of structure of a piece or a novel. And so for me, I think that's just the way I, I think in short, intense bursts and, and, and really kind of go deep into that space. Nice. And, and what are you currently writing? Well, I'm finishing the last uh, little bit of edits on my novel, and I'm, I'm starting another novel. I'm in that kind of uh, wild phase of early draft where, you know, just flinging, flinging things on the paper. So it's kind of exciting because you go from the kind of tightly uh, controlled process of, of editing and then going on to just following whatever comes to you in new work, which is kind of exciting. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of get back to the second novel. Yeah, and those are wildly different modes too. Yeah, it feels like a really different process and experience. You know, with the editing, you're sort of looking at a word or a sentence and creating a first draft it just sort of you know you're galloping along it's letting things happen allowing the material to take you which is really quite freeing and quite exciting it just feels like the creative process in a really raw form yeah and it's clear because of your work at tnq that you enjoy both and do you find editing tnq and reading submissions has that informed your writing practice and if so in what ways i think it's made me pay attention to my work in a way that that I hadn't been in the past, I guess. And I, maybe it's just kind of a refinement of the editing of my own work. I think that's what it feels like. Maybe that editing process has allowed me the, to appreciate uh, that slowing down and, and working in that level. When I see work that comes through, the work has not been developed as much as it could be. And then I see something that has obviously had that time and patience of working and working and reworking. And you see the difference Great. So we're going to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a, a bit more about TNQ and submissions and your approach to working with writers. This episode of the podcast Lit Mag Love is brought to you by my course, also called Lit Mag Love. Now, the course only opens a couple times per year. And you can sign up, though, anytime for one free lesson. You'll get on the wait list and you'll also get a lovely discount when the course opens again. You can do all that at litmaglove.com. So I'm back now with Pamela Malloy from TNQ. And Pamela, you said that working with new writers, or you said of working with new writers, that it's important for us to take the time to coach and support them as we want to discover those writers before they become famous. So why is this important to you and to TNQ? Supporting emerging writers is a really key thing, something that um, we've always done in my you know, predecessor. That was always a, a, a key part of what we were doing. And, and I've certainly appreciated that and continued that. And I think one of the things that we consider with the writers is that it's a relationship. So we're not necessarily just publishing poetry or a work of fiction or, or creative nonfiction. We're actually investing in a writer when we choose to publish them. And we 
hope that they will continue to submit to us and that it becomes an ongoing relationship. It doesn't always happen that way. But certainly, I think that human uh, element of the publishing process is really important so that we're actually thinking about the individual. So I'm always curious about what the writer's doing in their writing life, what they're hoping to do if they're working towards a collection. So any information that I have, it's, it makes the whole kind of experience more human and I think helping me to understand how they see their own career. I love that. And it sounds like you work really closely with the writer on their piece too. How many conversations can a writer expect with an editor once their work is accepted at TNQ? It depends on where the story is. I mean, sometimes we feel that it's really almost almost there. And so in that instance, it's sort of minor copy edits that we can work on back and forth through a few emails. Um, but sometimes we accept a piece that has more substantial editing that's required. And so if it's something that is quite substantial and it's a writer that I'm not sure about, I haven't worked with him or her before, then I will contact them and ask them if they would be prepared to to make some more substantial changes because I think I try to be upfront about what we want like what we're looking for and it's not that I'm trying to impose my vision on it it's more about we think we understand what the intention is here um, and in order to do this we need to make these sorts of changes so it's a negotiation right from the beginning and if they're on board then I go into more details I would give a sort of general idea of what that those changes would be in an email and then if they're on board then then it just becomes a process of going through the manuscript and, and trying to to tighten it and like I said what I'm really trying to do is sort of flesh out what I understand to be their original intention with, with the work I have to be really clear about what I'm trying to, to say because I, I have to be really clear that I'm not this is not me trying to change the story it's me trying to kind of bring the story out and and sort of lead them to kind of think about it in that way so yeah, it's always, I, I love that process because that, that's where we can go a little bit deeper into the work. And, and then you get at the end of it and you've got this story that just feels like it's just shining at the end. So it's a really great process when I have a little bit more work to do on the editing front. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. And I think that's really is a gift when you're submitting to Lit Mags to find an editor like that. And, and another I think reason why people should trust you <laughs> is, and I, I love qu quoting some, some of the things you've said about, about editing and writing. So I'm going to quote another thing, which is uh, you said, there are times when I'm reading a submission and I feel a sort of settling in with the story. It's almost visceral, a kind of full body sigh. The feeling that I'm being transported through the beauty of the language and the particular journey of the characters, a setting or situation that is distinct and enriching. I read a lot of stories, not quite ready, so when I get to one that is clearly the work of a writer who has talent and has worked hard to develop it, it's bliss. And I read this, I guess, in part because I know this sigh and I just love how you describe it. I'm, that's exactly where I'm at right now as I'm reading submissions for an issue I'm editing with Room. And, and you read, like you said, you read a lot that are not quite there. And then there's just that one you're like, oh, I can breathe. It's amazing. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you've had any of these full body sighs recently. And is there anything more tangible you can say about what you look for in submissions apart from you know make make me sigh <laughs> well i i have um uh, sharon bala on my mind these days because she's shortlisted for the journey prize coming up there's two stories that we published recently of hers and in both cases working with two distinct juries um adjudicators in both instances it was an immediate yes uh, butter tea at uh, starbucks and it was one and, and Miloslav was the other 
it's difficult. It's always difficult to describe what that one quality is. What is it that makes that story different than the other ones that are in, in the, the, uh, the bunch of stories that we're reading? But I think it comes down to craft. I think it comes down to the fact that it feels like something that has been worked on to the point where you are reading something that has no obstacles. There's nothing tripping you along the way. So all of the, the character development, the, you know, the, the narrative, the, the, everything is, is there. I think that this is, you know, for me, it's, it's, although she's you know, fairly emerging, she's certainly further along than some emerging writers. I think that that's, for me, is, is, is a good example of, of how a writer can, is in complete control of the, of the story from start to finish. Yeah, and that, and that control comes, like you say, through really hard work and, and skillful revision. That is a, a really key part of, of writing. And I think that, I don't know that, we, that uh, writers talk about it enough because I think that it is something that does require a lot of work. It's a hard thing to, to develop. And I think that you only do it by um, doing more and more of it. When I, I'm out talking to some classes, I often talk about the submission process and, and uh, why it's, that's important because I think in order to become a better writer, you have to submit your work. The submitting the work, what it does is that it, it, it brings you to some sort of deadline, but it also, I think it kind of raises the bar for your writing because I think you need to, if you're going to get it put out in the world, then it kind of pushes you a little bit. Yeah, I think just the fact that you know someone else, an editor you hope is going to read your work, is going to push you to revise it as best as you can to make sure that there's, you know, just basic things like causality in your plot or that it's free of typos, even those kind of things. Like it's just going to push you to continue to refine your work to be the best it can be. Yeah, I think if you get used to that and, and you, you know, revisit the work and, you know, see the flaws after you've put it aside and come back to it and, you know, getting it ready to send out. It's part of, I think, becoming a more professionalizing, you know, your work as a writer because there's a lot to the writing process and, you know, the editing and submitting is, is a really key part of it, just as writing the actual story in the first place is. Yeah, there are two modes and and I think, you know, writers who have a lot of success are ones that can get into both of those modes and enjoy both of them. Yeah, I think that there can be some, you know, you can get excited about it if you get, if you get used to it, and, you know, switch to sort of like fine carving or, you know, sculpturing it. Like that. Those, those, those last fine points that you're, you're smoothing out, you know, I think that it, it can be something, you know, it's like switching the creative process. So it's not just, oh, no, I have to do the editing part of it. Absolutely. Now, you've talked a little bit already and given some encouraging advice, but but I always find that some of the advice that you have for writers is stuff that I repeat, as I said before, about some quotes from you too. So what would you say to anyone who has submitted to journals time and time again, perhaps to TNQ and not had work accepted anywhere yet? Um, well, I, I guess part of it is actually making sure you're submitting to the right place. I mean, I think that if you're writing literary fiction and obviously literary journals is where you want to be. But I think um, actually the process of, of so like, actually, Actually, submitting is a really good first step because I think that um, we, we often get people submitting and then we don't hear from them again. And as I said earlier, I always think of the, the writing process and the publisher, the publishing process is a, a one of a relationship. So if we we get the work of somebody that we don't publish, uh, sometimes you know we might receive the work from them again and uh, two or three, four times. 
um, and then we we remember the work. We remember that they've they've submitted work and and that it got it got close. And 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 sometimes you know after having uh, three or four rejections, you know all things being equal, we may decide in favor of the one who submitted three or four times because we actually can sort of track their their development and say you know what they've had a story that wasn't quite ready three or four times ago and now they're actually improving and getting there. So and being committed to uh, submitting to one or two or three journals that you really, really want to be published in. And, and to, I think it's always good to, to read the journals as well. I mean, this is a plug for, uh, for us, but, but I think it, it, it does give you an idea of what's, out, what's actually out there in, in the you know, sort of setting up a, a, that whole sort of professional side of submitting your work is, is really important for writers to think about. Definitely. That's so important. And I love what you say about that you, that you actually remember people who have that you've said no to and it seems to me then that that relationship really starts then it's like the first interaction is the, is the beginning of the relationship and maybe it's still a no but eventually the no might turn into a yes if you see someone who's just really consistently improving their writing and obviously quite interested in publishing with you if they keep submitting oh yeah I, I've said uh, that we've started relationship with writers before they know it <laughs> <laughs> so we we we've you know we make notes of uh, uh we always make notes when, when we're reading the material anyways and and some of us have good memories and we'll think oh yes we, we can kind of just keep track of it we have one editor who's a bit more sort of systematic about it so she's always our good record for us but yeah we do remember and uh and we can actually go back and say check it as well if we think we've seen the work we can actually check and say you know get the, the actual name of the story which may prompt us to think about what the what the work is but yeah I think if VP writers are thinking about the world of publishing as being one of of where relationships are and I don't mean it's like a relationship in terms of who you know but it's about actually starting a relationship with somebody so if you want to submit if you want to be published in a new quarterly actually thinking about being committed to just submitting work and you know keeping an eye on what we're doing and what we're interested in and and hopefully you know it doesn't always happen but hopefully it does pay off for 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 writers who are consistently trying to develop their craft and 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 just submit their work to us i think relationships in writing are perhaps even a little un underrated just how important that is we write alone but we really need that community and, and connection and to me that's such an integral integral part of a writing life a healthy robust writing life is oh. community and connection yeah yeah i i agree i think another um bit of advice that i would give writers is to actually create their own uh, or join a, a community or create their own community and you know have a, a writing group if you can go to events go to writing events um i think we have our festival the wild writers festival and i go talk to um creative writing students and i've had the instructors tell me that they don't really think that this festival is for them i'm thinking well if it's not for them who who would it be for but aside from the actual professional development of, of listening to other writers talking about their work, there's, there's such great networking opportunities. Um, I mean, a writing festival is, uh, you know, mostly a festival of introverts and, you know, who introverts want these kind of deep, meaningful conversations about writing. So, yes. <laughs> <sighs> so I think that's just you know a reminder to kind of connect in some way either through a writing group, uh, form a form a writing group, or have a writing partner. Um, you know, go to events as much as you as you can. I think those are all really really important uh, to to the writing career. 
Definitely. I definitely relate to that introvert with deep conversation thing. Yeah, I know. It's so it's so funny when we, when we have a festival. So, you know, there's, there's always lots of people around, you know, but I said, it's, it's, it's okay, because we're all introverts here, mostly. And so we understand that it's okay. To, we, don't, we don't have to small talk, we can just, you know, tell our, our... let's just get right to it. <laughs> um, so I wanted to shift gears and talk about your statement around diversity, although it's not quite shifting gears because it's also is about community and a healthy writing community. So you say, and I, I said this at the at the top in the intro, that TNQ has always been an inclusive publication, but has now renewed a commitment to encouraging writers who may be experiencing barriers. So I know of a, a couple, actually, of my students were in the on a diversity committee with TNQ. So. Did you want to talk a bit about that and, and how that came about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this started, um, I guess, about two or three years ago. We just uh, threw a, series, a couple of, of uh, events that um, really kind of started us to think about the diversity. But it was it was clear that there was um, we needed to pay, pay attention to the, the conversations around uh, writers of you know different backgrounds and, and so on. So we, we started thinking about who we were, what we did, and what we looked like from the outside. And so while we thought we were open and, and accessible to everybody, we had to really sort of think about whether that was the case. And we knew that putting a sign out front saying it's not the case wouldn't work, but we thought we'd we, would take a few routes in in terms of trying to explore it and, and address it. So um, one of the things we did was we were able to get funding to do uh, a diversity feature in our the fall issue of last year, which was we did where we did a call out uh, for writers of diverse backgrounds and and experiences, and that was a, sort of a, our first opportunity to really see what. We, that, that was us putting a sign out to, to a certain extent, but we also kind of reached out to various communities to kind of spread the word about that we're actually actively looking. And at the same time, on a really sort of very um, kind of smaller personal level, we really felt the need to understand the issues and, and what was going on really, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis. So um, we reached out to Ayelet Sabari, who was teaching a class at, um, I don't think a continuing ed class at U of T, and asked her if she had some students that we might be able to talk to, and because we wanted, we really wanted to talk to those emerging writers just to see what it was like on that grassroots level on the on the ground, and so she recommended three of her students, and they were up for having conversations, and it really literally was meeting once a month around a kitchen table, whoever was able to host, and Susan Scott, our nonfiction editor, was uh, a key uh, person in. In, in this program as well. And the two of us would, would, would meet and talk with um, uh, Leonardo Carranza and Tamara Jong and, um, sorry, Jagtar Atwal. Atwal, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, Atwal. And um, we were just uh, talking about what it was like for them, how they perceived us, um, and really just really let, it, let the conversation go wherever it went. So it really helped us to understand the fact that you know, we, although we thought that we were open, that there were some barriers that were, were unintentional. And, and we tried to address that by bringing on new consulting editors, by being more intentional to reaching out to, to groups and, and to make sure that our messaging is, is clear and more open. 
and having these conversations that started with the three of, of these writers and, and just you know, whenever we have the opportunities to really just have, have more and more conversations. So it's, it's still a process for us. We're still learning a lot about, about what, the, what the issues are, but we have taken on, like I said, taken on some uh, consulting editors and, um, and we also, the, other, the second part of the, uh, the, the funded project was the uh, guest edited uh, edition, or, which is our fantastic summer issue that was um, guest edited by Anna Lane Kay from Vancouver. And she put together such a, a wonderful magazine of content, great content. And so that, that experience was really great for us because we were able to learn about, you know, well, be introduced to new voices, but also really just learn about the, how it is for other people who are, are, are trying to get their work published. Sounds like it has had that ripple effect that you're talking about too, in terms of people talking a lot about what's happening at TNP. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just, it was interesting too, because we've had success in the sense that we did have uh, new writers that we hadn't, hadn't submitted to us in the past, uh, sending us work and, and we were having these conversations. It was a very enriching uh, um, conversation on a personal level, but we also had such great success in that Selena Owen, who had uh, published in the in our diversity issue last fall, won the, the gold in the National Magazine Awards for Poetry. So that was a huge success. And actually, Sharon Bala's uh, story, uh, Butter Tea at Starbucks, um, which is up for the Journey Prize, is one that she submitted also as part of that diversity call out and and she said that she, it was a sort of story that she had kind of put aside and wasn't going to uh, she should put it aside for the moment and just thought oh well I'll just I'll try this call out and and now it's shortlisted for the journey prize so so it's been really gratifying to have those more public successes but I think internally it's been it's really kind of been a rich experience for for each of us because we've had such really interesting conversations about some of the issues that are being discussed in the wider uh, context of diversity. Yeah, it's like the good work and then it's being rewarded too, which is amazing. And, and it means you're discovering new voices and really encouraging people to submit who might, like you said, might not have submitted otherwise if you hadn't made those those steps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not like we don't have enough submissions. We have lots of submissions, but I think that's one of the things that we realized is that we had to kind of approach this on a, on a grassroots level and really reach out to individuals and you know, kind of people who had some sort of networks within certain groups and, and sort of spread the word. So, yeah, it's like I said, it's been really a great, great project for us. And, and I mean, it started as a project and now it's be kind of, it's be kind of rolled into our regular editorial program. I think that, you know, we are, we have to pay attention to the fact that we always need to be thinking about where we can be, you know, encouraging uh, writers to come to us, but um, hopefully it'll, it'll all sort of become integrated and people will just naturally know that we're, you know, open to receiving their work. I remember speaking with you before, actually, when you were a guest in my in my Lit Mag Love course about a piece that would, had won a contest in TNQ, and you described just how simple it was, and that yet really effective. And and I guess the point of the story, and what a lot of my students took home from that was that you can really write about almost anything as long as you're bringing in literary elements. Um, did you want to talk just a little bit about why you picked that piece and, and remind me the name of the piece again and the, and the author? Sure, yes. That was um, Lisa Allward. That was for our Peter Hinchcliffe Fiction Award. Uh, the story was Old Growth. And 
that was a very simple story in, in terms of content. It was basically a woman uh, being invited by her ex to look at uh, a piece of land that he wanted to buy with plans to go off the grid. And and that was it. Like it was just the two of them going and meeting the, the real estate agent and, and seeing the piece of land that he was up for sale. But what was really interesting was that it was just the relationships and, and the, the, the relationship between this woman and her ex-husband and the relationship between men and the estate agent that she imagined and and so it became a very layered piece because of the relationships that we saw what a bit of their past and and how they were in the future and how it had an impact on her current relationship so i think it was one that we all the, the adjudicators all felt immediately attracted to just simply because it was the the, the relationships were so well drawn and it was not a, a big sensational story it was a very quiet story in, in many ways and and so it's really great when we kind of come across that story that has something it's, there's something very ordinary about it which is very, on a very human level but yet has a lot of power behind it those are those those quiet stories are the ones that uh, I'm often drawn to so I particularly liked that story it was a unanimous choice wonderful yeah I love that the quiet stories are the ones you're often drawn to and it is I guess it kind of shows really the magic of writing that you can write about really quiet things but with with real power without it doesn't have to be driven by plot necessarily or by you know exciting whirs and bangs <laughs> it's just, just exactly I think that's yeah. that's the really that's the really interesting thing about the story as you're thinking why am I continuing to read the story about two people who go look at a piece of land you know I mean, <laughs> the surface it's not something that's really compelling but I think that yeah it's those quiet stories that and the layers come with with re- the rereading of it as well which makes it interesting nice Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your lit mag love and your love of, of literature and, and writers. And it's just been wonderful talking with you. Well, thank you, Rachel. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm very honored to be asked to join you and to have this conversation as ever. And I look forward to having future conversations with you. This episode of Lit Mag Love, the podcast is brought to you by Lit Mag Love, the course. And in the course, you learn how to find an audience for your writing, and you get ready for more visibility in the writing community. Another part of the course that students really love, and writers tell me after that was the best part for them, was finding a writing community that embraces you. So if you feel like you know writing is done in this quiet solitude, which it is, and that and that's definitely part of the writing life, is, is writing on your own, but maybe you're yearning for a community of like-minded people, of writers who are also working on being seen and sharing their work with the world, then I do, again, suggest you check out my course, litmeglove.com. There is a free lesson for you to try it to see if you like it. Hope to see you there. interview with Pamela Malloy at TNQ, I think there are many key lessons that we can take away from her, not just about submitting to TNQ, but also just about writing in general. So one of the things she said is that as an editor, she thinks that she understands now that writing is a process and it sometimes requires a great deal of patience and revisiting and rethinking. And these are things we might not be used to doing to be productive, 
but they are all part of the writing process. And she was talking about how just editing other people's writing helped her learn that patience for her own writing. The other thing that I think is critical was how she talked about the working with writers through TNQ as being a relationship. And she even said sometimes the relationship starts before the writer even knows the relationship has started. And so each time you're submitting, even if you're not being accepted into TNQ, they're making note of who you are and, and your interest in the journal and they're, and they're tracking you. They'll, they'll remember your piece. They read obviously really closely and they, and they remember the writing that they've published. And Pamela said that the human element of the publishing process is really important. She's always curious what the writer is doing in their wider writing life. So publishing with TNQ would really help in terms of building relationships and joining a literary conversation. And then the third thing that I think is really critical to learn about TNQ and may make it really highly a highly desirable place to publish your writing is just how much work they do with the writer. So they'll contact writers and ask if they would be prepared to make more substantial edits on their piece. And then they start working and trying to understand the intention of the piece and work towards making it the best it can possibly be before it's published. And she said, most writers are very interested in going through that process with me. And at the end of it, you've got that story that's really shining. Here's your Lit Mag Lowdown for TNQ. TNQ publishes fiction, nonfiction, postscript stories, and poetry. And about poetry, they say they publish free verse, ballad, sonnet, epic, you name it, including prose poems. Their payment info is $250 for a short story or, or nonfiction entry and $40 per poem or postscript story. They take submissions all year round, so you could submit any time. Note they only accept submissions by mail at present, and you can expect a response in late January or late August, depending on where you submit in the calendar year. They have no preferred length. They're one of the few journals that will publish fairly long short stories. And they do note, though, that they rarely publish pieces that are longer than 6,000 words. Show notes for this episode are available on litmaglovepodcast.com, and there you'll also be able to sign up to be notified when new episodes come out. If you feel some litmag love for this episode, please tell us in a review on iTunes. When you do, you will automatically be entered for a bi-weekly draw for a subscription to Room Magazine.